everyone. Welcome back to Back in My Play. My name is Kevin Larrabee, and I hope you guys are saddled up. you got a fistful of quarters because we are going and playing Sunset Riders this week from Konami, coming to you on primarily the, the arcade platform, but also, of course, it was ported to the home consoles here in the United States and in Europe to the Super Nintendo but first to the Sega Genesis, and that version is very weird, so we'll talk about that as we get going. I think I said my name's Kevin Larrabee. If I didn't, I just did. And along with me this week to co-op this experience is Kurt Collada from Hardcore Gaming 101. Kurt, how are you? Hello, how are you? I- I'm great because I got to play a lot of Sunset Riders over the, <laughs> over the last couple of days, and this is one of my favorite games, and I don't know why it took so long to, to do this on the show. I thought maybe... Maybe it would be too. Sh- it's like a twenty-five minute game, but uh, I, I think there is going to be plenty to to talk about this week. But before we get into that, I want to do uh, you know quick hits on news first. P- people are listening to this on the weekend. Hopefully, you didn't miss. I actually talked with Chris Johnson, and we did like an hour discussion on the Nintendo Switch. So if you want to hear us talk about Nintendo Switch stuff, just scroll down one episode because it, they're coming back to back on uh, Friday and Saturday. So go and check that out. Um, also, there's going to be, and Kurt, I don't even know if you remember this, there's going to be an extra segment with Kurt and myself after the end of this episode for Patreons where I think we talked for like 40 minutes about a bunch of Konami arcade games and, and things like that uh, while we were waiting for, I believe it was Peter Brown who was never able to show up for one of the episodes that we did. And now that's oh, going to be okay. at the end of this yeah. show. Yeah, back when we do. Okay. Right, exactly. So it was like I don't know how many how many months ago. It was probably like six months ago or something like that. But now we're going to be able to have that for the Patreon folks today. But uh, lastly, before we go forward, uh, I just want to do a quick update with with you, Kurt, and what you guys have been going, uh, what you've been doing at Hardcore Gaming 101. You guys have been very busy. New books have been coming out and uh, you guys just continue to bring the content on a regular basis. Yeah, there's actually three that should be coming out pretty soon. It's one that I did to help uh, the website Sega Bits. They're having a convention that they're doing down in Savannah, Georgia um, in uh, in just a couple of weeks at the beginning of November. And I thought, well, it'd be sort of neat to have a, a small little book to sell at the convention and help raise a little bit of money for them and uh, just have something cool and exclusive for them. So that's going to be the first place you can get it. And eventually, I'm going to put it up for sale at the same time as Sega Arcade Classics Volume 2, which will finally be done at the end of the year. Yes, season. awesome. Can't wait for that one. The first one is is outstanding. And again, I just like to always you know, give heavy praise to... All, all the the great, fantastic books that you put together uh, on the just just incredible job to for reference and, and to find out about games that maybe you didn't know about as well. Like I'm even every time I do Castlevania game for this show, I'm always opening up that Castlevania book and, and going through. And then there was always something that like also pops up that oh yeah, like I actually keep forgetting about this game. I'm gonna go like find this weird obscure version and try to play it on like an emulator or something like that. Um, so you you always do an incredible job with that. So everyone should absolutely go check those out. And they're out they're available on, on Amazon as well, right? Yep. Everything's on Amazon. That is right. Everything is on Amazon. Um but yeah we'll have we'll have links for that and whenever you know those books do come out I will be sure to to blast them out on on Twitter and 
on our website and stuff like that. However, I get the message out. But uh, again, you guys do uh, a great job. So check all that out. Um, anything else that people should keep uh, an eye out for? Oh, the, one of the next books that we'll be doing sometime next year will have Sunset Riders in it. But I suppose we can get there later on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, uh, what we'll do right now is we'll take a break because there is some pretty good music from this video game that we're going to be spreading throughout this episode. So stick around. We're going to be right back with the history of Sunset Riders. Okay, let's talk about the history of Sunset Riders. Of course, this was developed and published by Konami here. And primarily, this was an arcade title. It came out not only in Japan and the United States, across the world, and it was on the uh, very similar hardware and uh, as Turtles in Time. Like It was very much a uh, set of hardware for the arcade where Konami was able to put out uh, a couple games, including uh, Twin B, uh, Proteus. Uh, we might in the West mostly know that hardware for also roller games as well, but pretty much just Turtles in Time and Sunset Riders. And you won't be surprised if you potentially have a Sunset Riders machine. You might kind of like rip off the 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 side, you know, side art, or you could be looking inside the cabinet itself and it might actually be a Turtles in Time machine or a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles machine that was then uh, converted to Sunset Riders. I think in that Patreon segment that that the people will have at the end of the show, Kurt, you and I talked about just how great Konami was at making these quarter-munching games for four players that were sometimes incredibly brutal and made you want to just keep pumping quarters into them. Yeah, and they always looked and sounded great too. That absolutely correct. I, I remember the uh, I w- I was searching for a long time, and actually we, uh, we're going to be talking a lot about the the actual dedicated Sunset Rider machines. But um, yeah, we'll save that for for a little bit. It was running. You know, I don't know if we won't even talk about the the arcade hardware. But yeah, again, you can get the general idea of what it was running on when you think Turtles in Time, and it's also why it was really easy or not easy. I guess it ported really well to the Super Nintendo. But before it came to the Super Nintendo, it was ported to the Sega Genesis, coming out December 1992, and uh, these ports, the home ports specifically, only came out in the United States. And in Europe, I should say North America and Europe, you're not going to be able to go into your local game shop in Tokyo and find a copy of Sunset Riders for the Super Famicom, which is very, very odd, I guess, because at least they did have Turtles in Time for the the Super Famicom there. So it seems like a odd choice. Maybe, Kurt, I don't know if you have any information on, on why I couldn't find any, why they 
didn't end up porting these to the the Super Famicom or the Mega Drive. Nothing's like uh, solid. My best guess is, I mean, the game was was pretty obviously uh, created for the American market because yeah. beyond the fact that it features cowboys, it used the whole four player thing because those turtles games, you know, and all those. I mean, they released most of those licensed games in Japan, but they were made for American licenses. Right. Um, and I guess they just the arcade version must have not have done well in Japan, so they're just like, well, there's no point in releasing it. Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic educated guess. That that would be you know that makes the most sense to me. Um, the director was uh, Hideki uh, Tujimoto, and uh, it's one of these days, Kurt. I'm gonna actually get these names really well and and down. Motaki uh, Motoaki uh, Furukawa. Um, yeah, Motoaki Furukawa. He is everywhere when it comes right. to uh, <laughs> the '90s Konami stuff. Yeah, actually, I I, I just. Um, and I don't know, there, there is always just a weird, when, when I'm doing like research for this show, it's always sometimes hard to find really hard like background on some of the composers and stuff, but uh, that it, was, it wasn't too hard to, to find information for this, um, including Castlevania 64, uh, King Kong 2 for the MSX, which also, I don't know if that would also have been the same music for the Famicom version that's... Um, possibly uh salamander and the msx uh sd snatcher which i didn't know existed until this research for this game which sd snatcher is basically a super deformed snatcher uh a role-playing game for the msx i don't know have you checked that out kurt oh yeah i played it i wrote a it's on the site um the the snatcher article it's very very strange as you can guess (laughs) i i saw I i saw some video of it but um it was fans tr- fan translated at least as well. It seems it was been fan translated since forever. Like that's one of the first early known uh, Japanese fan translations because it was done like like really before the internet. Like some MSX no fans took it upon themselves to to do it, and they must have distributed it locally. Because I mean, when I first discovered uh, MSX emulators back in the mid late nineties, like it was already available in English. Yeah, I got to uh, I got to make sure that I link to that article. Uh, in the show notes for for this because that that is just really weird watching some YouTube videos of, of playthroughs of, of that game it is it's very very odd um, but also I, I should mention as part of the news I did procure a Sega CD so maybe I will be able to do a Snatcher episode at, at some point um, yes I know I know I, that's it's it's been it's it's been very high at the top of the list of things that I need to do. Um, uh, along with this, I was actually able to find quite a bunch of promotional and marketing material for this game, not just for, for for the arcades. They always had promotional materials, like they would have uh, flyers for the op- the operators of the the arcades uh, themselves to to sell the games. And there's actually some really cool art for that, and uh, as well as the advertisements for the Super Nintendo version, which this is the thing that I remember the most because it was something that was in uh, like GamePro and Nintendo Power um, talking about how you can literally take the arcade experience home with all seven shoot 'em up arcade levels in Sunset Riders. And if you have trouble in the, the whole 25 minutes that it will take you to beat this game, you can always call the Konami hotline at 1-900-889-HINT. So I don't know if it's still working. I don't even know if there's one nine hundred numbers anymore. Probably just for like crazy talking stuff. Um, well, I mean, as long as old people still exist, I'll still have them. <laughs> yeah, I guess that is still something that uh, you know some people just need to make a phone call to a one nine hundred number uh, at some point. Um, so 
some developer notes real quick, and I got this information from your website, Kurt, uh, specifically the, the Genesis version. We're going to be talking about the differences between the two, but I, I think you know, the Genesis version is it's fascinating to me because it, it was one of the earlier Konami efforts on the, the Sega Genesis. We're still talking about uh, 1992, but it is... It's not to the the quality standards of what we saw with Hyperstone Heist. It's not the the quality standards of Contra Hardcore. Like it is clearly a, a downgrade. Like if you like I think personally, Hyperstone Heist, it doesn't have everything that you have in Turtles in Time, but it's like pretty close where with Sunset Riders, like there's a like a clear downgrade from the Super Nintendo, the arcade version versus the Genesis version. I'd have to look at this because, I mean, it says it came out in 1992, and I forget when the rest of the Konami Genesis games came out. I remember the first one that was advertised was Hyperstone Heist, but I think that came a little bit later. Right, 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 um, yeah. So what, what my guess is, first of all, the ROM size is like, the Genesis is half the size of the Super Nintendo game. Right. It's like four megabits, which is about the size of like an early like launch Genesis game. It's, it's nothing. Whereas the Super Nintendo one was eight megabits, uh, which is a more more standard for that sort of game, uh, and you could definitely see that in the just how limited it is. It's it's super unfortunate because you know I I, I will reference again just the the fact that Hyperstone Heist is is a really faithful port and it's it's pretty close to what you're going to be able to get. And if you are if you're like competing against your Super Nintendo friend and you have the Genesis, you could still be really proud of what you're doing with Hyperstone Heist uh, on, on that on that console. Even with like Bloodlines versus Super Castlevania, like you could really point to it and say like, yeah, there's lots of great things going on in Bloodlines versus Super Castlevania Four, but not so much, unfortunately, with Sunset Riders because they cut a bunch of things. The visuals are a big downgrade. There are um, major gameplay differences that we'll probably uh, get to later on in, in the conversation. But, um, you know, brought up in the article are things like, you know, the bonus stages were replaced. Like th- that seems like something that would have been pretty easy to put into the Genesis version, which is basically like almost a, a light gun like experience, but you're using the, the D pad, something like you would do if you had, potentially like virtual cop and you didn't have a, a light gun or something like that. Um, and also there were other changes, like some of the stages were somewhat cut in half and then redone differently. Some of the bosses were taken out. There were just a lot of compromises when it came to, to this version of the game. Unfortunately, I think it's just because it was uh, done as a rush job on the cheap. Like that's the only yeah. way, because there's no reason the Genesis shouldn't have been able to handle that game. I to- totally agree. Like I think the the thing that I notice, and this is kind of getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but with the uh, especially like the sound effects, like the sound effects are, sound like they're almost ripped out of like Bonanza Brothers, like the, <laughs> the the guys dying and stuff like that. It has like almost the same sound. It kept bringing me back to that, unfortunately. But it's okay if we have access to home consoles. We can always pick up a Super Nintendo because the Super Nintendo version has uh, like few changes. Basically, the the couple things were changed for uh, censorship and making sure that it was, you know, more or less Nintendo friendly. Like you will play the Genesis version and you will just be murdering a bunch of Native Americans that are very stereotypical in one of the stages where that was actually taken out of the Super Nintendo 
for the Super Nintendo version, uh, as well as things that were revoiced um, and text that was redone, including some of the cutscenes as well. So there are a few differences in the Super Nintendo version for sure. Uh, along with that, I wanted to bring up two other games before we get into uh, you know our personal histories and memories of this game because a game that I somewhat confused with this when I was a kid growing up because it was just like another game that I saw in the arcade was uh, the Wild West Cow game, um, which are basically in the same setup as Sunset Riders, but you're a cow, like literally a um, like a human form cow, and it is the same two button setup, you know, jump and shoot and. I it was really actually visually impressive, but that's a game that like oh like it's pretty much Sunset Riders. I'll I'll go play that, but unfortunately that never saw uh, a home port. Have you played much of that game, Kurt? Oh, the Cowboys game, yeah. Oh yeah, I, that it, game's so cool. I mean, I I had never seen that one in the arcades. Like Sunset Riders was reasonably popular, uh, but the Cowboys game I never saw up until. Uh, until Mame came out, and I, I actually couldn't believe that they like licensed uh, that show because right. I don't think it was very popular at all. Yeah, I, it, yeah, it was I just like, weird. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, and and also, of course, if we're just talking about like the Super Nintendo in general, uh, I, I I wanted to bring up Wild Guns just because it's also having a sequel come out very shortly on the PlayStation Four with uh, Wild Guns Reloaded, which. Is still is still kind of nuts. Are you looking to pick that up, Kurt? Probably. Like I've I've been meaning to set aside the money to get a PS4, and that would definitely be on the list. All right, it's a great time to play, pick up the PS4 now that they're probably going to be like two hundred fifty bucks on Black Friday with the the slim models at least. Um, is there is there anything else that you would uh, you know thinking of adding to the the history of of that game? I know we kind of went all over the place, and that's really my fault. But um, I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to cover. There was uh, another game that's sort of like a sequel. I think it's called Mystic Warriors. I'd have to check the article that I wrote. Um, but yeah, it's very similar to Sunset Riders, except it's instead of being like the old West, it's very like 90s ninja sort of stuff. Uh, it's it's, it's kind of cheesy and uh, like not really in the like Sunset Riders is it's cheesy, but it's still cool, you know. It has a like bright uh, anime aesthetic, but with Wild West, where this is just like kind of goofy, and this doesn't have that same appeal. Uh, but it's still like a, a standard, uh, decent Konami shooter game. Oh, you're totally right. I'm looking at this right now, and it's so much of a like not not a pseudo sequel, but it's definitely in, and it has the same framework in terms of the four players, and also just the the uh, HUD system, and even I guess if this is to be correct there's even a scene in the game where you go past a movie theater and on the movie screen is you know cutscenes from sunset riders being played in the background yep yep that's rad that's super cool i I need to check that out um all right well what we'll do right now is we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with our personal histories and memories of sunset riders so here is some more music from said game stick around we'll be right back
So we're going all the way back to the early 90s. This is when Konami was just killing it in the arcades. Everyone was pumping their quarters into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then we saw the sequel just over a year later with Turtles in time. But sometimes those games just, they, they kind of, they, they stop being sellers. And you got to pick up a conversion kit. You change that side art. You change the control panel overlay. You get the marquee switched out. You switch out a PCB. And guess what? You get a brand new game with Sunset Riders that will start chewing up quarters just like the previous versions did. So I think I think this was uh, something that you alluded to earlier, Kurt, where this was something that you know was very prevalent in the arcades here in in the United States. Was it was it at your local arcade? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like during that time, like Street Fighter was pretty much everywhere, and then uh, mm. I think Turtles in Time was probably the first big four-player game. Like those were almost as 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 big, especially with kids that were my age, because Street Fighter was like it kind of had to compete with the older kids who were, mm. you know, uh, better at with, with turtles in time. You could get together with all your friends and play with it. Yeah, it was, it was the, it was the game that I was always like when I had access to, and you got to keep in mind, like I was six, like when this game was in arcades and, and that's maybe six to, to eight years old because those games would stick around for a little bit, sometimes a little bit longer. If it was just like a, a machine that the, the building owned, I, I played it for the most part at a like an indoor soccer place where we had like winter soccer leagues for for kids and you know my sister would have soccer games and I would be like I'm so bored I want to go play Sunset Riders and just beg my parents for enough quarters to to go play in the arcade for for a little bit and this was also if you live in the North Shore area of Massachusetts right next connected to the the Roller Palace which is a roller rink that's still there. It's still there in 2016, which blows my mind. But you can go and, and check that out. Did have Sunset Riders. I don't think it's still there anymore. But that's that's how I played it. <laughs> they actually might. I was in a roller rink around here that, again, is still open. And I haven't been there for five, six years. But they actually had uh, like the X-Men arcade game. No and way. Like one, of the, one of the Capcom 1940, 19XX, like one of the later than 1942 games. And I was like, this is I, I hate roller skating, but I was just so happy to go there. No, but that's that's just, that's the thing. Like, I I am totally on board with you, Kurt, because I even had a birthday party at said Roller Palace, and I did it just so I could get access to the arcade games that they had there, which included at that time was probably 1994 because. I used a $10 check that was written to me by my aunt and I gave it to my dad to get $10 in cash and I played all the way through Revolution X and I did save <laughs> the world with music. So that was totally worth it and I, I, I got to go step in there. Like what if they probably still have those arcade games in there because I'm guessing if you go to the Roller Palace, you're kind of going there to go back to 1992. Yeah, it's either that or they just, you know, there's something they bought. They never got rid of them. <laughs> I, I, I got to go check it out. It's like 10 <laughs> minutes away. I got to go drive down there. Um, but uh, along with that, I think, um, you know, a lot of people also played the the home versions. Did you ever play the the Genesis version back then or were you, you know, able to to play through it at the arcade? I, I don't I mean, I never was able to beat it. Um, I, I eventually did play the home ports, but not when they came out. Because I I definitely didn't have the Genesis. I don't think my local video store had it, so I didn't get to rent it. 
Um, and so I didn't play them until I started collecting the systems in the late nineties. But I, I think, um, for, for me, when, when I, I also didn't get to, to rent it a lot, it was a hard, it wasn't like a very common game on either platform. It wasn't a game that was easy to, to find. And now I, there's two things that, that I was going to bring up. Like one, I was lucky that for some reason, my, my cousins owned the game. So I actually like went over there for some kind of birthday or, or some kind of seasonal event. And I was like, can I borrow this? And I ended up borrowing it for maybe three or four months to the point where my aunt like called my dad saying, like, my kids want their game back. Like your son can't have their Sunset Riders anymore. And he had to drive it the 45 <laughs> minutes back to their house, unfortunately. Or no, actually, I think this was another thing that we had to we had to like mail it back to them because we didn't want to drive the 45 minutes or whatever. But um that Super Nintendo version is 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 a hell of a version that even when I could afford games like going to Funko Land um, was still very expensive because it was pretty rare and it was a it was a quality game. People wanted to keep it. I forget when and where I bought it, but it was definitely during the case when, you know, like the Babbages or the stores who didn't really like price things according to what the market yeah. was. Because Funko Land, they, they had a market in place ever since I knew they existed. Right. Can you, would you go in and even... At the time, the Mega Man X twos and threes and over battles were like a hundred dollars. Uh, but Babbage's before they uh, got bought out, they were just like every game was ten dollars. Uh, <laughs> and even even GameStop, you know, I probably got my copy there for five dollars. You know, N- nothing outside of like Chrono Trigger or some of those RPGs that really sold for that much money. I, I so like it is. It's my the time travel thing. I, I don't know. I probably brought up brought up on the show but like my time travel thing is to not like go back in time and change anything like in my personal history but it's to go back in time with like 600 bucks and just go clean out those like brand new inbox copies of of earthbound or um the 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 copies of all these games that were getting like these funko lands and like the eb games or just like getting rid of them the the kb toys and just buy a like just a bunch of box like NESs or, or like Genesis's or something like that. But I uh, think of how many virtual boys you could buy with $600. I, well, that's, that's how I got my virtual boy is not by going back in time, but I bought mine for 20 bucks at a KB toys, uh, which had, you know, still had the active, that thing was still so new at the time that the pack in, like they had a slip pack in. So you could mail out for six, triple uh double a batteries from duracell so that thing was still working by the time that i got my virtual boy so i was able to still mail out and get six double a batteries mailed to me which was pretty good deal pretty good deal i think um and and i didn't know where to put this but uh you mentioned a little bit like emulation and, and maim and stuff but when i really got to like sink my teeth into this and get good at the game and really appreciate the game is after i got my first arcade machine and this was now like maybe six or seven years ago. So it is, it's quite a a while ago where I got a Marvel versus street fighter machine, which was in an old data East cabinet. Like it was just converted over and over and over again. So something like it eventually got converted to a, a Marvel versus street fighter machine. And I got to, at some point I got bored of that and I looked on the internet 
and there are magical little boards that you can buy that are basically like 1400 games on a hard drive that's hooked up to like a Pentium 4 motherboard that's then sandwiched onto a JAMA board. So you can then connect that through JAMA to the actual arcade hardware itself and use like a kick hardness or whatever to, to get going. And that had Sunset Riders in it, including the 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 um, the cow game. So I was able to get access to like this incredible <laughs> lineup, like of basically every arcade game from the '80s and '90s on one hard drive. And you can still buy this stuff today. But that is when I got to really sink my teeth into Sunset Riders. Have you messed around with any of that like pseudo legal <laughs> arcade hardware? <laughs> Uh, I've only seen them in different places, like uh, a bowling alley, or like the one machine in Dave and Buster's was ever worth playing. Was one of those like it's like a big list you know, of main games. cabinets. Yeah, that would just have like everything by Capcom, and they may have been legal, but who knows? Yeah, I was I was gonna look and and see like what those things go for today because uh, they they were about like two hundred dollars, and the things were so fragile. I think I took me like them sending me two different hard drives to actually get one that worked because they were just Chinese, you know, pieces of crap that were coming over here to the States. But, uh, if you do have an arcade machine and you want to have like pretty much every single arcade game, like all the street fighters, all the, you know, arcade games as you could possibly think of it's, it's, it's on that thing. So you can go and, and check that out. And then I eventually ended up picking up some Astro, Astro city arcade cabinets, uh, Sega, Sega Astro cities are the candy cabs that they, they have in, in Japan. And I got real deep into picking up JAMA boards and then eventually picked up a Sunset Riders JAMA board uh, as well. So I got to play a lot of Sunset Riders, but um, the arcade version is definitely where it's at. But I think the Super Nintendo version's pretty, it's pretty okay. It's pretty good. It's, it's, it's I mean, pretty much as close as it could have got to the time. I mean, outside of the stuff that they changed, like, you know, putting dresses on the can-can girls <laughs> that's right like uh there's like little bits of animation that are kind of missing but it's like such minor stuff like there's a the, the little uh what would you call it? when a dynamite's about to explode there's a little balloon that says you know like pick it up and throw or something like that uh that's missing but it's better compared to like the genesis version where you can't throw it at all like uh, you I have know. to shoot it yeah, yeah okay and, yeah yeah totally and uh, there's well, the Super Nintendo one still had a bunch of the little stuff like you know um, one of my favorite parts of the game is right at the beginning when you jump uh, on the cows when they're doing the stampede mm-hmm. and there's a little running animation of him uh, just like specifically when he's running on there and that's not in the Genesis version. Yeah, let's let's I mean I think let's we'll even use this segment to kind of hit on on some of that stuff because this was just a huge thing back in the day where you know you are always going to be comparing these two games uh, from one another and when when I was playing through both of these actually you know what. I take I take that back. Um, maybe we should pause and we'll just uh, get right into you know how this game holds up today. Does that sound all right? Yeah, sure. All right, guys. Here's some more awesome music from Sunset Riders, the Super Nintendo version specifically. Uh, stick around, and then we're gonna just really get into this game when we get back.
Okay, so let's just really get into it. And uh, like we're talking about, I think it is, it's worth talking about both the home versions. I think those are the two best ones to to really get into today because uh, unfortunately the arcade version is still going to be in the confines of MAME. And if you can find the arcade hardware itself in in the wild, because like I actually posted this on, on Twitter earlier in the week, but I found what was one of the article submissions that I sent into GameTrailers.com to get my internship there, which was like top 10 arcade, or I think it was like the top 10 games that we need to see on Xbox Live, PlayStation Network, and WiiWare, and almost right at the top was Sunset Riders and really just like all the Konami fantastic uh, arcade games that we saw from that era. But even with Game Room, like do you remember Game Room when like Microsoft was saying it was coming, but it never did? It was, it's okay. The, one of the last packs they did, somebody analyzed that and Sunset Riders is on one of them. What? <laughs> the thing is, like, they must have pulled the plug before they ever officially unlocked that pack. So it, you can't play it. It's, it's just crazy. What a bummer. Because, like, that, that was going to be the thing that saved Game Room. Was going to be, like, if you could actually get those arcade games from the 90s, if you could basically just say, hey, this is MAME, we're going to just dump all these you know, ROMs in there. And then you can actually play the arcade versions of these games instead of having to, you know, use like the Xbox live arcade wrapper that they did with TMNT and all that stuff. That would have been awesome, but unfortunately it just never happened. They Sad. screwed up game room really bad. They screw up almost all these emulation <laughs> services because things yeah. like SNK in particular is notorious for this because yep. they, 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 they started putting out all their old games and they started the games that nobody cares about. And then, like, five years later, they might get to the part of the library, which, you know, or the big titles. Um, that actually ended up did happening for the Wii. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they finally brought out, like, Last Blade and Polestar. I don't think Gero made it out. But some of the PS2 games did end up in Japan. But they're doing that again. Like, they're just starting out with King of Fighters 94. 4. Yeah, they're doing it all over again. It sucks. Uh, Capcom did that for a while because they did a bunch of those compilations that did kind of like the early 90s games for the PS2. And then they did uh, that arcade cabinet thing, and I don't think that made it past like the middle or late 80s or something like that. Like, you could go on there and buy Trojan, but like, who really gives a shit? <laughs> I don't, yeah, I just and, don't, they, there's just, they can't follow through. They're just not willing to, you know, they don't understand like, yeah, you guys are putting out the garbage right now. Though, of course we're not going to buy it. Yeah. I don't and I mean, every once in a while you get a, sporadic one like last blade 2 made it out because of like some other company licensed and took care of it themselves because that's something a game people care about and will always pay money for that's true and and i got um even through xbox 360 backwards compatibility and xbox one like it's awesome to have garu on my xbox one so i can boot that up and go through a couple matches and still be able to play it even though it's the uh xbox live arcade version it's it's pretty good um God, I just remember games. Last Blade 2 was on sale last weekend and I forgot to buy it. <laughs> that's 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 the one you're gonna want to get. I mean, those God, I gotta do I gotta do another Neo Geo episode that's complete aside, but um just to talk about the incredible depth of Neo Geo late games on on that hardware and just how ridiculous those carts pushed. Uh man, that hardware was so ahead of its time. Worth every penny of the three hundred dollar MVS or AES carts, uh, I should say. Um, 
Sunset Riders. Um, yes. It is, it's it's uh, again. We're, we're, we're let's let's talk a little bit about the Genesis version because I I played almost all the way through the the Genesis version, which is it is it's really jarring to go back and forth between the two because, uh, like you mentioned, there are some like pretty significant gameplay differences throughout them. Um, specifically, a right off the bat, bullets are way faster uh, and they're consistent throughout the game where the bullets are actually start off a little slow in Sunset Riders in the arcade and the Super Nintendo version. And then they speed up as you progress through the stages, like almost to trick you in confidence to keep pumping quarters into this thing. Um, We also mentioned briefly, there are like somewhat half stages because you go to the end of like one stage and you save a woman who's just at the end of the stage. And then you go through, Basically, what is that same template for the stage again? And then you get to the boss battle. Yeah, that was just to, to make the game seem like it was longer because it was really only like four stages. Exactly. Um, yeah. That they were able to like stretch out into eight, basically. And it's like the first level of that game is kind of based on the th- level of the arcade game with right. elements from the first level. And he reused that boss. Um, but you can just see how the memory limitations also affected the level designs. Like they're just, it's, it's really repetitive. Like there's a lot of cases where like enemies hide behind uh, crates <laughs> yeah. or, or hop out of windows and stuff like those are in the other versions, but they're not relied upon as much. Exactly. Um, there's, there's like a couple other things I actually brought up, uh, or, or in terms of like gameplay, I'll just stick on that for a second. Uh, there's also like a slide mechanic, uh, which is, uh, you know, something that is, I could not figure out how to do in the Super Nintendo arcade version, but it's, you know, you hold down and you press jump and you can actually slide. You can, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I think it's a, uh, it's like in the Super Nintendo one, I think it's a separate button. Oh, then I could have potentially missed it. It's probably in like L or R. So I apologize for that. Um, and you know, I'll check on that before we do finish up with this episode. But, um, there's also like a weird, and there's like no real reason for it except for high score, but the enemies drop money, like they're dropping coins. And that's yeah. like a real big deal because also if you die, you drop a bunch of coins, but you also have the opportunity once you respond to pick them back up. And they don't, they're just for score. They don't do anything. They do that. It's just like, oh yeah, I'm picking up a, a bunch of coins. Like there is no, it would be cool if they did something like a, like a River City Ransom or they did some kind of thing where you could trade them in for extra lives or, or weapon power-ups or something like that at the end of the level. But that never happens like a storefront. That would have been a cool way to differentiate the, the console version from the arcade version. Um, the bonus stages, you mentioned that earlier. Like there are not the like pseudo light gun stages, but it is basically just your in the horse and there is someone throwing power-ups and, and money out of a uh, out of a uh, horse and buggy and you can pick up one-ups, you can pick up uh, extra extra money and stuff like that, power-ups. But and uh, those were real levels in the uh, the other version. Exactly, like they take what is really the the horse levels at the train stage and one is just kind of like a I guess you would call it like a, in the woods or something like that stage uh, where they do this stuff, but there's no enemies. You're just basically trying to line up. And it's really kind of hard to get the 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 aim down for picking up these power-ups because you're having to kind of line up with the like scrolling of the, the stage. It's kind of, it's really weird. I, I had a difficult time with it. Um, what's weird that I kind of noticed is like the only difference that you can really tell between the pistol guys and the shotgun guys 
is that the pistol guys can shoot the weapon a little faster. Like they can have <laughs> like three bullets on the screen versus like two for the shotguns. But in the Genesis version, it seems like you're still only limited to two. So I'm not really sure what the advantage of choosing the pistol guy. Like Steve was that one, right? I think. Yeah. Well, actually, the, this is like specifically for the Genesis, and and I apologize. I should have brought this up um, because I wasn't sure necessarily to, where to put this in the episode. But for the Genesis version, you only have access to do two different characters. You have Billy and you have Cormano. So um, aside from that, there's also a separate mode, a, a versus mode, where you can you know double dragon style you fight you and your friend. Um, <laughs> That's so bizarre. Again, it's like, I don't know if it's like, all right, well, we're porting this thing. It's not going to be as good as the arcade version. All right, what else can we do that's going to take us like three days to program? All right, let's put in this this versus thing and we'll at least have like, you know, health that we can. Anyways, um, also, uh, aside from that, uh, let me see some things, that, other things I wrote down. So, yeah, you only have access to two characters. You have Billy and Cromano. Um, also... Like this is something that I noticed on the train stage because there are there's a very similar I think it's stage I want to say in the Super Nintendo version it's stage three um, I believe it's stage three we're actually on a train and there's like things on the like overhead where there's like on an overpass where it can actually hit you and, and kill you and stuff like that which is way slower in the Super Nintendo version and it's way faster in the Genesis version and I don't That kn- thing killed me so much when I played it. Exactly. And I didn't know like the first thing I thought of was Back to the Future 3. I thought of Back to the Future 3 on the Genesis and how like just the refresh rate like it was made uh you know for the European market and they basically just didn't correct for the refresh rate difference in the United States so it's just way faster in the United States, but maybe that's just a, a, a wishful thinking that they didn't just, you know, make this incredibly hard. They just made it, didn't have time to test it. And just, you know, that's the way it was. And it's weird because I mean, I, I can't remember if the super Nintendo one had this in the Genesis one, you can sort of hear like a horn. And I thought it was like, you know, that would maybe be a tell to like duck and, uh, so you won't get hit by it, but it didn't seem to have any relation. Nope. I, 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 it does not at all. I like, I, I, God. Well, this is the cool thing. The cool thing about the Genesis version, or maybe it's even like a, a cool thing about the. Um, and I am confirming right now there is no way to slide in the Super Nintendo version. I am confirming that right now. So okay, now that that's done, um, there the continues are completely different between the two versions because the continues of the Genesis version work just like the arcade. You continue right where you left off in the Genesis version, where with the Super Nintendo version. Once you run out of lives, that's game over for that level. You're allowed to continue, but you have to go all the way back to the start of the level. So you must be able to complete that level with the lives that you have from the start or what you, I guess you could technically pick up throughout, but there aren't any uh, live pickups except at the, and there's like two stages where there actually are some, which I thought that's cool. I, I like the way that they do it in the Super Nintendo version more. Exactly. Um, There's more challenge. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it just feels so strange going up with the, the arcade version. Uh, it just feels like weird to ration it, but it feels like you're learning a little bit more when you have to replay the earlier stages. Yeah. And that's exactly it. Like, it was almost, I almost like, uh, 
compare this to my experience with Castlevania games where I am forced to learn the patterns. I'm forced to learn where the enemies are going to show up. And then eventually you get to the boss. You know, sometimes you might make it through the stage, just barely get to the boss the first time. The second time you get to the boss and you have two lives. The third time you go through the stage, you might actually have all your lives. And then the boss battle is relatively easy. So um, there is a really cool encouragement to learn the levels instead of just, all right, well, I'm just going to keep pumping quarters in here and continue, even though on the Genesis version, through the initial options, there are limited continues. Um, one last thing that I noticed on the Genesis version, again, it's the sake of Genesis, it's hardcore. There's lots of violence. People actually catch on fire and burn, where if you hit the <laughs> fire in Super Nintendo, you just die. You don't actually catch oh, on fire and burn to death. I noticed that on the Genesis one. I didn't realize that was not in the Super Nintendo one. But then again, it's one of these things that's like, did they take it out because of like standards issues or was it just like a memory thing? I don't, I don't know because like, again, like I'm like looking at the... Uh, you know, Super Nintendo version right now, and like, there's no reason why they couldn't do it. And I almost wanted to, if if I I didn't have time beforehand, but I wanted to go back and take a look at uh, the Turtles games as well. And I think it does the same thing in Hyperstone Heist versus Turtles in Time, where if you get hit by fire, you actually do burn in the Hyperstone Heist, but you don't in Turtles in Time. I think Nintendo had a no catching on fire policy. They must have broken it for Street Fighter because you could definitely catch on fire there. Exactly. Yoga Fire. Yeah. You're, you're not going to be, you're, that's going to toast you. It's game over, but not really. Um, I never noticed that. But yeah, that that could be. I mean, Nintendo even now has a lot of like really arbitrary standards. Uh, so yeah, that could, that could definitely be something. Well, we'll see. Maybe they're going to lift all this, all the, uh, all the requirements when it comes to the switch. They got one last shot at this thing. Hopefully they can make it happen. But, um, uh. <laughs> let's talk let's talk a little bit about the the Super Nintendo version because uh this is the one that I actually played through for for the show because as I mentioned before it's like the most accessible thing out there and it's probably the one that most of us if we're listening today that's the one that you probably played all the way through if you actually had a friend that that had it, it was so funny like even on, on Twitter uh someone said like they had a pre-order and all that stuff and then eventually they had to cancel their pre-order because they didn't have enough money like that's the absolute worst as a kid growing up but with the Super Nintendo version, we we mentioned that you actually need to be able to complete the levels with the lives that you have at the start. So you have access to up to, through the options, four continues and four lives at the start. But there are, and these are so generous, Konami with these cheats. I'm sure people call up this 900 number to get these, but uh, they allow you to get up to five continues and you can get up to five lives if you use the code R L R L R L A R L R L R L Y at the one player, two player options screen. And you also get uh, access to a stage select at the character select. If you hold down or if you hit L L five times R four, five times, and then you select your character, you get access to stage select and the awesome sound test as well. Oh, that's that's weird, and because in Contra Three, the Japanese version had cheats, uh, but the American version they took them all out. Because we're so we need super difficult games. They still believed in that. It was the whole Castlevania Three all over again. Um, yeah, but it's good that they kept uh, Sunset Riders. But it's not as it's not as generous as like a thirty life code or anything. True, totally, totally. Um, and I, I think I think that is just a huge benefit for the the Super Nintendo game. Like we, you talked about briefly, is you know you do get the 
it's just the the incentive, like the challenge to say, all right, well, I only have like five lives at max to be able to get through this level. So I need to learn this level. And then when I get to the boss, I need to learn that boss. And the bosses aren't that hard in this game. They actually have pretty easy patterns to to figure out for the most part. I think the two biggest, the two hardest bosses are the um, Native American chief who's throwing knives at you. And then the the final boss as well, where you're basically <laughs> just in what is more or less bullet hell is the best way I can describe that final boss battle because you have bullets coming from everywhere. Um, I don't know. Like, how, how do you feel, Kurt? How do you feel about the, the on horse levels? Do you like those? Not, I've never really been a fan of a lot of the vehicle levels in a lot of games. And I think uh, they're kind of like the weaker spots of Sunset Riders too. I, I, I think they're just artificial difficulty they're not that bad especially when you're in that second level but when you get to the it is the fifth level where you're back on the horse uh, again the bullets are now moving much faster and they're much harder to dodge because you are more or less in a locked uh like a locked train track more or less uh, and then you have the ability to just jump and move forwards and backwards to dodge this stuff but you're also having people throw they're throwing friggin' logs <laughs> at you. They're 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 shooting at you. They're coming at you from below and above. So there's tons of stuff to dodge. But um, again, you know, for the first two stages, they're actually pretty generous. The bullets are extremely slow, so they're not too hard. It's more or less once they they pick up after in uh, going into stage three, where things get uh, a little difficult. I probably should ask you even before this, Kurt. Do you have a favorite character? Uh, probably Cormano, just because he looks the coolest. Hell yeah. All right. So I was making sure that we could get some kind of consensus on this before we started recording. So I asked people on, on Twitter, and uh, you were gracious enough to to retweet this. So we got like a ton of responses, and Cormano was by far the most uh, responded. Uh, and also, I don't know why people were picking the... Um, like the revolver guys, like talking about Billy, like, no, you got, you need to have a, a shotgun, like using Billy or Steve makes no sense when you could have Bob or Cormano. So, uh, Cormano had a awesome sombrero. So he was yeah. obvious choice, right? And, and a poncho and a beard. Right. Yeah. Okay. So now we're all in agreement when, if you look at Steve, Billy and Bob, they literally look like the same exact character. It looks like three brothers. And then Cormano is like their friend you know, from down south or something like that, that just came to help out and and save you know the village or, or whatever the heck they're doing in Sunset Riders. Um, another thing that I want to bring up in terms of just the the stages is it is uh, stage four, the the tavern fight where you go, you just like go and you walk into a tavern and you're fighting you know a boss that's up on the uh, on a platform on the right and a platform on the left and then you also have a chandelier that's going back and forth that you can jump onto plus there's guys in both corners on the bottom that are shooting at you as well but these guys are like throwing bombs and molotov cocktails at you and you get to dodge all that stuff but i actually really love i think that boss battle is awesome yeah it's a cool level uh and it's just like a like oh like a one-off and like you said unfortunately we had you know a fully clothed or an overly clothed version of the the dancers after that scene, but you know it's still a pretty good celebration before we have to go to another uh, level that is going back to uh, a train. But kind of going through all this stuff, um, 
Are you a big fan of Westerns, Kurt, like in general, like Western movies and stuff like that? Not really. Like when I was a kid, I thought they were really boring. Totally, me too. the sort of stuff like my dad would watch. Right. Like I was, for me, it was like, it was Back to the Future 3. Like that was awesome. Um, but anything. Yeah, that's why I didn't like Back to the Future 3 because it's like a Western. <laughs> and that's, that's what most people actually, okay, see, this is a complete side thing, but I'm a huge fan of Back to the Future 3. It's probably my favorite of the movies, which is like a thing that should not be said, most people think, but I think that is the best story for Marty um, and Doc Brown. So, but anyways, we won't get into that. But like, I, I don't like Westerns much at all, but this game, like almost like the setting kind of like doesn't matter, but it is just like a really cool setting to have everyone with, you know, bandanas wrapped around their face and um, that it is just a, a, a really cool setup. And I, I didn't want to necessarily break down this thing stage by stage, but just kind of looking at the the setup for for them. Um, I think for me, like by far, my, my favorite stages are four and actually the, the last stage, stage seven, where they kind of bring in all the mechanics from all the previous levels. They do a really good job of like saying like, all right, here are all the things that you've learned after dumping $18 worth of quarters into the machine. Let's make it even harder but you can utilize all those abilities, like having to hold on to a rope, have people shoot at you, force you to to jump and do that flip so you can dodge that bullet, get a little bit further down that rope, and then be able to take out that guy that's shooting at you. I love the bosses in the game, too. Like, uh, that's the thing that everybody <laughs> remembers, like the, the bury me with my money.com. Yeah, okay, yeah, that was also sent uh, on, on Twitter. But when... Um, I mean, this was this was like very much like nineteen, like nineteen nineties Japanese take on a like American Western, which was really cool. Like it was very much over the top. And when you get to like go to the start of the level, and you're like, oh yeah, like there's a sweet like reward sign, and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna take out this guy, and I'm gonna get ten thousand dollars to take out Simon. Greedwell, which of course is, you know, <laughs> it's such a great name. Yeah, but again, like all this stuff, like the localization is is you know spot on with this stuff. Where you're talking about um, the the names of these guys, and again, it's very like not politically correct, like super stereotypical, over the top names for these uh, bosses to the point where like the one of the bosses is like wigwam. Like God, like could you guys not? That find- was the, the the fixed one too, wasn't it? Uh, I believe so. That's I think Scalp was the one that they changed. Correct. And that's and actually became, in the Genesis version. Yeah, they left. Like, the girls, they're still kind of, like, in their can-can outfits in the Genesis <laughs> version. And, like, I, I just checked on Wikipedia, but I didn't pick up on this, that there were, uh, I guess, dogs in the game that were taken out of the Super Nintendo one. I don't remember that at all. Like, I played the Gen- the arcade one, like, a year ago, and they don't really stick out. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't remember either. And like I said, I I owned the the board for that game for like two years, and I don't you know remember it. But you know, we could we could totally be wrong. So the um, you know, the other bosses uh, again, it was like El Greco and and Paco Loco, who's just like Paco Loco by far the easiest boss in the the whole game. Just a super easy boss. It's just like up on a platform. And again, as long as you have one of the two best characters in the game, you have that shotgun, you have that awesome spread shot. Like that is no problem. Just get Cormano and you'll be good to go. Uh, and finally, you go to Sir Richard Rose, which uh, I could not beat this uh, stereotypical British uh, bad guy at the end of the game because, oh my God, 
bullet hell, like I said, is just incredibly difficult. And to be able to do it on five lives is is not going to happen. He can say Cheerio, old chap, as much as he wants. I'm just <laughs> not going to be able to beat him. I, I beat him in the arcade game just because I was. it was on free play. <laughs> That's the, uh, that, that might be the only way to do it. Or you got to pull out that Game Genie and you got to snap that Super Nintendo card on top of it or play it in some kind of emulator so you can make use of those cheat codes or use a, a trainer to be able to play that stuff. But, um, I, I mean, the other thing that I wrote down quickly was you know, aside from that, like the, the boss battles, I think across the board are a lot of fun. Um, the only bosses that I really had difficult with were, uh, Richard Rose and, and chief wigwam, uh, which were the only two bosses that were really just super hard to dodge what they were throwing at you. One of the reasons I like sunset riders is it's sort of like an alternate branch of Contra because starting yeah. with Contra 3 and then going into hardcore it more focused on boss rushes and situation rushes and all that sort of stuff whereas uh Sunset Riders like outside of the two like like basically vehicle stages like it's it's more like the old Contras like a lot of it is just running shooting and platforming uh so it's it makes a good alternative to to uh, the other 16-bit Contra games where does this, uh, in terms of like Sunset Riders, where does it stand for you in the the lineup of like those those uh, '90s co op like four player arcade games like the 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 X Men the the tur- the Turtles games and, and Sunset Riders and games like that? Where is it? Where is it in that rank? I feel these games are slightly fairer than the Turtles games because a lot of the the games are really just like button mashing. Like mm-hmm. there's a, some small level of strategy to it, but it's not like you have to dump in a lot of quarters. And I mean, this, the, the arcade version is still like pretty overwhelming, especially if you're just playing with one player. But you, you can still there's like some skill to it. Uh, I, I was I was thinking like, well, along with this, it is um, like a total shame that there weren't more ports like we never got a. Uh, the X-Men game, like even if they did, excuse me, like a, a two-player version of that, that never came to the Super Nintendo. X-Men was gigantic back then. And also The Simpsons, of course, never came to the Super Nintendo either. Yeah, that was all uh, licensing issues because Konami exactly. had the licenses just for the arcade versions, but not the console versions. So we got all the garbage from Acclaim for uh, oh. The Simpsons. And uh, the, uh, Sega had the X-Men license. Like that was, that uh, was yeah. like... Oh, LJN, poor, poor kids that got LJN games back in the day. Uh, really, really uh-huh. sad. Um, but that's the stuff that I wish. I mean, they're not going to do it today because they don't care anymore. But if you could somehow get those games relicensed one more time for some kind of PSN, Xbox Live download, just to say like Konami's 90s arcade hits and just have like The Simpsons have, I mean, we even got X-Men a couple of like, what was actually that's probably like six or eight years ago now that we got X-Men on, on Xbox Live, but get those games back on current generation consoles so we can just have one more shot at, at playing those. Oh yeah, <laughs> I wish. I, yeah, I know it's... Who knows? Maybe we'll get at least some kind of uh, winning eleven soccer game next year. Or another bad version of Metal Gear for online stuff. Um, but mm. let's leave this on a on a positive note because we do have the opportunity to go back and play these great games. If they're not going to let you buy them, I'm sure you can figure out a way to play them. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but there's great ways to play video games online, even if you have that 
pseudo legal way to put a gigantic motherboard in your arcade cabinet. And you might want to also check out Aliens, another great Konami arcade game that is just super, super good. Yeah, uh, they have that at my local barcade. I mean, no it's way. still kind of, yeah, um, it's still kind of like cheap in the way that they designed it, but <laughs> yeah. it's, I mean, it looks incredible. I mean, the, the graphic artists were second to not, and just like the, they're not really bonus levels, but the scenes where you're in like the vehicle, just like shooting stuff. It just looks so cool. We we um this is and this is actually where I learned about this this ability to do this thing in an arcade machine is because we had three arcade machines at Game Trailers and that was one of the machines that just had like a gigantic list of every single game that you've ever heard of. So um there are a couple of people in the office that were just gigantic fans of not only that game, but also the arcade, like the super violent arcade version of Battletoads as well. Um, so those were played through regularly at the, the game trailer's office and not the best thing to do right before a recession, but um, we did it anyways. So that is Sunset Riders. Go pick up the Super Nintendo version if you can. It's uh, it's odd today where that game is going to run you like close to $80 <laughs> for the Super Nintendo version, but it might be something that's worth picking up. And I don't know, how do you how do you feel about this? And this is like a little bit of a side discussion that I've been having with some people, but I've just started to realize that people are actually reproducing games that aren't like games that never came out or games that were fan translated that they came out in Japan but never came out in the States. But people are just basically making brand new carts and selling them on Etsy and selling them on eBay of these games that are, rather expensive for people to pick up the original version they're selling repros for like 40 bucks that's in but they make uh like a mega drive versions of games that were not released in japan right so one of them was sunset riders so they they did up their own uh, cover uh done in this it was using the uh the flyer, the Japanese flyer art, which is, I mean, I love the American cover art, but uh, the the Japanese one's totally different. And then they even make uh, instruction manuals and everything. They, they put a lot of quality into it. So just for something cool like that, like something that didn't really exist that somebody put a lot of effort into, that's fine. But, I mean, if you want to play a game on a system, you can get a flash cart. Uh, right. And then if you want the real thing, it might cost a lot of money, but it's still something that's real. It has value. And if you ever wanted to sell it, you still get it. With forty dollars, you're paying for a pirate cartridge. Yeah, like I don't. Yeah, it uh, it, it doesn't make a make a ton of sense. And I, I'm a big fan of the the EverDrive lineup, and uh, that's mostly because I I've actually been playing a lot of fan translated games through those carts because it's a, a great opportunity to to do that, and I can feel better by picking up a copy of Dragon Quest V for 100 yen for the Super Famicom, but then I can actually play Dragon Quest V on a Super Nintendo and understand what the hell is going on through a an EverDrive, which is, is my way of feeling good about it. Um, yeah, I'm just checking on Amazon right now. The lowest copy of Sunset Riders is $40, and it's Sunset Replica in Gray Shell. That's You're selling a pirate copy. And eBay is allowing it. And also... I Amazon's was, allowing it. Oh, this Amazon's... Is, a, holy crap. Um, I was... Yeah. I was saying, uh, I was going to say, it wasn't just because you were coming on the show, but I ended up like looking. I just want, I want to see what copies of Rondo Blood are going for right now. And I was looking on eBay, and there's people that are selling, quote unquote, brand new copies of Dracula X Rondo Blood PC Engine version 
uh, English version for $150. And I don't know if you've seen this, but basically, I guess it is a sealed, quote unquote, sealed professional reproduction and limited release of Akamajo Dracula X Castlevania Rondo Blood for PC Engine and Turbo Duo. Comes with separate Japanese and English copies of the game, a full matte color manual, a custom made Dracula Belmont bookmark, a Japanese ad insert. And the seller's so generous, they're going to include a bonus copy of the Bomber of Bomberman CD with custom sleeve and a Dracula X Richter pin and card. What the hell? That is, I mean, at least it sounds like they're putting a little bit of effort into it. But at the same time, like, I do know a site that, I forget what they were called. They were sort of doing very limited run of certain PC engine games that were really, really expensive. But they were also labeling it stuff. Because one of the most expensive games in the PC engine is uh, Sapphire. Right. A shooter for uh, that was done by Hudson like in 1995. And even as early as uh, like the early 2000s, people have been, uh, this one guy had flooded the market with reproductions. And it, it kind of tanked the value a little bit, which was good because there's no reason that game should be $300. But at the same time, it makes it very difficult to pick apart a legit product from a bootleg. Exactly. Uh, but it's going to get harder and harder. More recently, there's another guy that was doing that for uh, some of the games like Rennie Blaster and a couple of other games I can't remember. But they also clearly labeled them as reproductions. And uh, what he did, one, this is one uh, PC Engine shooter. Uh, it didn't wasn't released commercially. It's just like this tiny little mini game that was stuck on a demo for an RPG called Psycho Rider. And uh, this guy did up like an actual CD case and uh, cover art and stuff like that for it. And that, that I think is kind of cool. Like I don't really have an interest in buying it, but you know, to put that sort of effort into something that never got a real release is neat. And, uh, and you put it perfectly. Like they just need to, I'm looking at that same cart that you brought up on Amazon for sunset riders. It just looks yeah. like the exact same cart. Like it should say at least reproduction, like right across the front of it to show people that like it is at least different than the, card that people are going to be paying $90 for. They're upfront about it. I mean, the seller is named Onslaught Reproductions. So, but I mean, they also. I just mean like that guy could, who buys it, could turn around and just put it up on eBay, not think about it and say like, oh, Sunset Rider for Super Nintendo and not say reproduction. Yeah, that that definitely is scummy. This market's getting confusing. Wow, look at, they're even doing it for, wow, they're doing it for a lot of games. Like, uh, this makes sense. Like, if you do Secret of Mana 2. I get it. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, because that was never released here. Exactly. Um, well, welcome to the new era of video games where you're probably not even going to be able to tell if the game is authentic or repro. Does it matter? I don't know. But if you can get Musha for $28, that's pretty cool. Um, actually, I might buy one of those. Uh, so anyways, before <laughs> before we wrap up uh, one more time, uh, I just want to quickly mention that uh, I really appreciate everyone's uh, support of this show. I think the next episode is going to be Mega Man X. Um, aside from that, there could be some, some cool news that goes along, uh, in the next couple of weeks with the video project stuff that I am doing. So hopefully that stuff will get wrapped up. Um, but before we do, do go Kurt, I know it's getting late. Um, but it's again, any, any kind of final projects that, that people can look out for any reminders from before that we just want to make sure that people, uh, have at the the front of mind to to watch out for sometime next year we're going to put out another uh, konami book i, I might have mentioned this in the last show because i've been working on it for on and off for quite a long time 
Uh, that was going to be just more Konami stuff that's not Castlevania or uh, shoot 'em up stuff. So this book we're probably going to feature on the cover uh, Contra and uh, Mystical Ninja because those are like the two really big Konami series. But oh, they're always going to. It's also going to have some of like their 8-bit lineup, uh, a lot of the other 16-bit games. Uh, that's definitely where Sunset Riders and Mystic Warriors and Cowboys of Mumisa is going to go, uh, and Aliens and I think Surprise Attack was another side-scrolling shooter that they did but a lot of their famicom disk system games too oh that's uh, awesome and some of their msx stuff and we're also working on a uh, a comprehensive review of the the famicom disk system games hell uh, yeah which i'll say is finally like dabbling my feet in some of those games the reason why there's no english documentation isn't just because a lot of the games are in japanese it's because a lot of the games are really bad <laughs> even like the like, nintendo uh, developed and published stuff well, the Nintendo stuff is mostly pretty good. The Konami stuff is kind of like their B lineup, but it's mo- it's still it's still generally pretty decent. But the thing is, since uh, a lot of the games were released really cheap, like they have the disc copier games we could go in. I think I remember hearing they have like 500 yen or something really cheap. Yeah. You can go in and get a new game. So those games are just really cheaply and badly done. Uh, yeah. I mean, some of them have some interesting history behind them or games that are neat ideas that just didn't work out. Uh, and I mean, it's just neat that I, uh, there's such little English information about it. So just doing that research is fun, but some playing some of these games is just like, uh, yeah, I know. I, I can only, I can only imagine. Um, but yeah, that, that sounds awesome. That would be fantastic to, to have. And again, you guys do an incredible job and you can just go on Amazon. You can pick up everything from the, uh, Castlevania book, which is, is really outstanding. You're going to be able to get an incredible history of, of all those games. And I'm a huge fan of the uh, digest that you guys have been doing as well. I absolutely love the, the title arcade classics digest. And um, recently, I think this is the most recent one that came out this summer was the, the data East arcade Classics, which is also just badass. Like you guys got to make sure that you pick these up and you do give people the ability to pick it up on, on Kindle as well. But I really think um you guys have done an incredible job with the paper versions as well ah thank you i'm trying to figure out what to do for the third digest because i've been thinking about doing namco like yeah. some of the namco games but at the same time like well maybe i should make a book that'll actually sell so i was thinking about doing a nintendo one like star fox and f-zero or something like that because i want to get back and play the star fox games after yeah. uh, zero came out yeah and maybe it will actually like like this was something that I was talking about with, with CJ and just in terms of the Nintendo switch, like, all right, this is the time. Like there's no more excuses. Let's bring out an F zero game because that's the thing that everyone has been asking for since GX. So let's just make it happen. And no one will complain anymore. <laughs> I know. I mean, like I'm not a big Nintendo fan. Like, I mean, I like a lot of their games, but not to the same level that a lot of people are. But like Nintendo 64 for me is like a wasteland, except for like maybe five <laughs> or six games. And two of those games are F-Zero X and Star Fox 64. Those are pretty good. Those are pretty good. We could have at least yeah. gotten that like a 3DS version. Like that's Star Fox 64 3D is pretty good. Um, uh, do you disagree? Oh, no, I agree. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 60 frames per second. That's so good. Um, all right. Well, I think that's where we'll wrap things up today. Again, I would uh, recommend that you guys go and check out those books. And uh, I will put links for those in the show notes for the storefront for for those books. You can go and take a look. And also, Amazon, Mr. Amazon, so nice. He's going to kick like 
a dollar or two back towards back in my play as well. But I don't really care about that. The books are so good. You should go pick them up. However, if you're on your phone right now, just go do it on your phone and, and pick them up, uh, including the uh, Konami shooters, the, the the Sega arcade classics. Um, you know, again, I, I just recently was going through the Data East arcade classics, just outstanding, outstanding stuff. Go and pick them up. It's the best 25 bucks that you'll be able to spend today. So uh, that is going to wrap it up for for this episode. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. Like I said, I think we're going to have some pretty regular episodes going forward. I'm not sure entirely of the lineup, and I did order a Sega CD through, or it's not like super official, but I've been talking to a fan of the show, uh, Gabe, who I'm going to be buying one of his extra Sega CDs from him so we can continue to expand the incredible lineup of Back in My Play episodes. So thank you so much for listening to this incredible episode of Sunset Riders. Go and pop in that cartridge. And don't forget, because uh, Cormano is is very particular, he is a big fan of beefsteak and milk. So those are the things that are his go-to foods and drink. And his favorite word is courage. Have that courage as you go forth and complete Sunset Riders. And until next time, Kurt, thank you so much for for joining me back on Back in My Play and talking about some incredible video games. Of course. Thank you. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next time.